What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of The Kale Brock Show, brought to you, of course, by kalebrock.com, where you can get your free refined sugar-free kombucha video series. Today's discussion is all about probiotics, and let me tell you, it is a groundbreaker. It is an absolute classic, an instant classic. Being midway through my gut healing protocol right now, which I'm really enjoying, and I know a lot of uh, you guys are enjoying as well, because I've got a handful of you on the program before we release it on the website, this is a very appropriate time to release this interview. And just listening back to the interview, it is absolutely amazing. Some of the questions that John answers, uh, John Elliman answers, who's a microbiologist out of Sydney, are things like, are fermented foods good for you all the time? Are probiotics good for you? And are the probiotics we see on the shelves actually that good? And what sort of implications do different bacteria have on the gut when they're present and on the brain when they're present? And how can we take specific strains of bacteria, boost them to therapeutic numbers and actually create a sort of therapeutic effect on the body? This is a really amazing interview. I don't know, I probably sound like a broken record now, but it's an absolute classic and I really hope you enjoy it. Now, as you'll hear in the interview, John and I talk about the specific research that John did at the CSIRO or in conjunction with the CSIRO a while ago to develop a specific product. Now, we try not to get salesy, of course, as, as is always the case with me, but I will tell you that this probiotic is actually involved in the gut healing protocol that um, I work with. I've actually used it for around uh, for eight years now, so I was really excited to interview John and learn the science behind it um, a little bit more than what I had originally sort of known. So I'm particularly excited to uh, bring this interview to you. Um, If you are interested in the probiotic, just um, head along to kalebrock.com.au and sort of get in contact. You can go to um, kalebrock.com.au forward slash supplements and you can register your interest to sort of get a hold of it. Other than that, man, I'm just like lost for words, even just listening back to this interview. Super exciting. I won't talk for much longer. I will see you on the other side. Prepare to be stunned and amazed. This is a really, really good one. See you guys. John Elliman, welcome to the show. Thanks, Kyle. Lovely to be here. Mate, what's been, what's been happening? What happens in the life of a microbiologist? Oh, mostly uh, making sure that we're helping people. Uh, we uh, have a lot of phone calls of people who um, have gut problems and uh, want to know how to treat them. Uh, doctors sending us people and so on. So um, that's mostly what I do, giving talks as well and uh, trying to make sure that our product is uh, the best in the world. That's lovely. Now, do you... What you said there, just um, sort of working in conjunction with the Western medicine sort of general practitioners and stuff, is that something that's been going on for a while or is this sort of becoming increasingly um, popular in the last sort of five years with the microbiome project and everything? Yes, uh, I think you put your finger right on it. I mean, it it really is the exploding area of research at the moment and uh, the awareness that the gut uh, bugs if you want to call them those, uh, that, that is at the centre of just about everything that, that comes our way in terms of gut health. Um, that's really driving the research now. And um, it'll take a while for it to filter through to your mainstream GP, I would imagine. Mm. Uh, but certainly naturopaths have been onto this sort of thing for some time. Yeah. yeah. And do you think that if you could recommend maybe one or two medical journals for the average punter to read if they wanted to learn about you know the microbiome and stuff what sort of journals do you read what would you recommend well look i I recommend um dr google uh, but google scholar in particular yeah Uh, if you if you know google scholar so you can go to google and put in google scholar and that just takes you to all the uh, university research and um, you know government research and so on in in peer-reviewed journals and you can uh, just put in keywords and and out pops all sorts of information it's a wonderful resource 
And you're, you're also a wonderful resource because I saw you speak in Adelaide and I've actually been aware of your work for a while. But let's go back to the start. When did you sort of become interested or, I suppose, inclined to study probiotics and their effect on human health? Okay, well, I worked uh, for many years uh, since, the, I guess, about 1980 uh, in the area of fermentation of cultures used in the dairy industry, and that included um, cultures for cheese, yogurt, and probiotics. So I had a technical interest in probiotics from the early days, and in the 1980s, I isolated the, the Lactobacillus acidophilus strain that we use from a Japanese food, for example. So I was always interested in those things, but from then it was a matter of, uh, you know, what the yogurt manufacturers needed and wanted and my interest grew from there until uh in you remember that period when the sydney water supply you know was up they were up in arms about giardia in it and things like that well i'd already contracted um giardia lamblia which gave me explosive diarrhea and found that i could control that explosive diarrhea with and with the probiotic cultures that we were making but it took large doses to do that so I ended up getting treated with an antibody called flagell which is metronidazole and then that gave me uh, collateral damage of my microbiome and so then I still had diarrhea but the gas part of it had gone because the giardia had been knocked off so then I had to use the probiotics to control that and I found that by uh, well I was actually also uh, on a management committee of a government-funded cooperative research centre at the University of New South Wales. And uh, the the two major, or perhaps the major, uh, program in that CRC was uh, probiotics and prebiotics. And so that uh, really refined my interest in, in the area. And then I decided to commercialise the... Um, the intellectual property and, uh, and expand on it myself and um, ended up developing formulae that actually controlled all sorts of problems um, in the gut. And uh, it's been um, a commercial success and uh, that's where I am now, producing perhaps the best uh, product in the world for, for that sort of thing. And, and, and uh, that's not me saying that. It's uh, Professor Clancy who's done lots of research on that and he's an immunologist and works out of the Centre for Digestive Diseases, for example, and sends me patients all the time. So he reckons it's the best and um, I just believe him. <laughs> Lovely. Well, in essence, before we go into the particular formulation that you've been working on, um, is, is Lactobacillus acidophilus, is that strictly a dairy strain? You said something about um, a Japanese food there. How did you sort of discover and isolate that, that strain? Well, it was actually um, included in uh, a particular Japanese dairy product. So oh, right. um, someone over there obviously isolated it and um, identified it and so on. And um, we just picked that up. So, uh, and it turned out to be uh, in our screening test um, the best one uh, that could be found out of about 50 different strains. So that, um, that's, that's the, the genesis of that and the bifidobacterium that we use, and they're both the LAFTI strains, L-A-F-T-I strains. Um, they're, uh, the the uh, bifidobacterium lactis um, is identical to one, or it seems to be identical to one that was isolated from uh, a child in a daycare centre in Denmark, and that child was the only one that didn't come down with diarrhoea uh -huh. when it went through the daycare centre. <clears throat> yeah. That's particularly interesting. I like that. Now, you talked about when you're in Adelaide, actually, some of the specific bacteria that are involved in, for instance, diarrhea and constipation, and this is really fascinating. Um, can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, well, uh, diarrhea is caused by having too many bad bugs that are irritating the bowel and the body just uh, wants to flush it out and pumps water in. Uh, that's an easy one. Uh, constipation... And there was work done that showed that um, 
uh, constipated patients had 200 times the normal level of E. coli and clostridia in their bowel compared mm. to normal controls. And uh, those organisms are notorious for producing neurotoxins. And we do know that the bowel has its own brain, so to speak. It's called the bowel brain. Uh, almost as many nerves in your bowel as in your brain. And neurotoxins produced by those organisms can paralyze those nerves and uh, everything slows down. The peristalsis, those waves of rhythmic contractions that sweep down the intestine and push the food down and out the other end, they get paralysed and everything stops and you become constipated. Uh, and if you suppress those bacteria, then those nerves can come back to life and things start moving again. It's perhaps not the only cause of constipation, but it seems to be a major one. Yeah, and dehydration as well, I assume, and lack of exercise as well, probably. <laughs> yeah, there's all, there's all sorts of contributing factors, I'm sure. But, I mean, if, if a person isn't prone to constipation, they can get dehydrated and still go okay, you know, that yeah. sort of thing. So there's other factors involved. But, um, yeah, I think generally it, it, it uh, comes back to having dysbiosis, too many of certain bad bugs in your gut, yeah. Yeah. Now, the term symbiotic is something that I think is pretty, still pretty new in the whole probiotic field. Can you sort of go into what, how the different terms sort of, how, how they differ? So probiotic, prebiotic and symbiotic, what do they all mean? You know, can you help us out? Probiotics, obviously, everybody knows is good bacteria for the gut. Um, prebiotics is just a fancy word for fibre and they feed the probiotics and they tend to selectively feed them. So probiotics prefer those foods and other organisms don't prefer them, generally speaking. That's a generalisation. Yeah. Uh, but uh, when you put prebiotics together with probiotics, you can get a boost effect and it's a synergistic reaction, if you like. And that synergy is reflected in the word synbiotic, S-Y-N, biotic. So it's the synergy between those. You get, in other words, a multiplication effect. And the, um, the cultures, the probiotics, multiply to much higher levels. And we actually put a couple of different um, prebiotics in and um, also another uh, carbohydrate that boosts uh, culture so there's a triple effect there and uh, when you've got a boost on top of a boost then I think you could easily call that a super symbiotic so that's what I call it and um, what it basically are you leaves... looking at with yours because I know you've got some yeah. really impressive numbers in terms of like a therapeutic dose of bacteria yes well I the the closest estimates that we can uh, come up with are that uh, we're boosting the numbers of these cells. One dose of our formula uh, that it has starts with 30 billion in a dose, uh, it's probably being boosted to well over a trillion. And um, that's based on a CSIRO experiment in pigs with similar sort of boosters. And um, so that's what we uh, predict. Um, and... Um, we're certainly getting impressive results, uh, you know, when people take it. So I would say it, it would have to be up in the trillions, otherwise it wouldn't have that, that impact because we all have trillions of bacteria in our gut. So if you're going to take a capsule with 25 billion in it or something and no boosting effect, then that's just not going to cut it, you know. Yeah, and we spoke about... <clears throat> What I really want to get into today is speaking about specific strains of bacteria because I know, like you pointed out in your talk in Adelaide, that even under the lactobacillus um, acidophilus strain, there are actually substrains of that. And then you guys actually had to go in and isolate the most powerful one um, to actually you know, get the desired effect. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yes, well, the regulation requires that uh, cultures have what's called grass status, in other words, generally regarded as safe. Now, GRAS means that they've been in the food supply or their close relatives have been in the food supply uh, for thousands of years. Now, that's fine, um, but not every lactobacillus acidophilus, for example, has probiotic activity and 
probiotic activity consists largely of being able to suppress bad bacteria. And so when uh, some of our cultures were tested and compared with other cultures, uh, some interesting results emerged. And particularly uh, the data I'm thinking of is against the E. coli bad bug. And uh, we found that ours, our lactobacillus acidophilus and bifidobacterium lactis were amongst the very best at suppressing that E. coli. But that there was, for example, half a dozen lactobacillus acidophilus strains um, and they all had varying levels of success or efficacy at at suppressing those bad bugs and uh, some of them even stimulated the bad bug. So I call that oils ain't oils. Yeah. Uh, For those who remember that Castrol ad of um, a few decades ago. Um, And... uh, yeah, it's um, you can't tell from the genus Lactobacillus and the species Acidophilus whether it's going to be a good one or a bad one, and that's um, they differ at the strain level, which is the next division down from species. Um, so you really can't tell by looking at the label whether it's a good one or a bad one. And as far as the regulations are concerned, any Lactobacillus acidophilus that's so identified is grandfathered in under the regulations. It don't, you don't have to test a specific strain for its ability to suppress bad bugs. You just have to show that it's a Lactobacillus acidophilus or one of the other types of um, organisms that is associated with the probiotic um, activity, um, which is uh, a bit of a a hole in the uh, regulations, if you like, because it makes the assumption, yeah, it makes the assumption that all Lactobacillus acidophilus strains are okay and they're not. That's so interesting, mm. and that's like that's groundbreaking stuff. And I know you came out when you spoke in Adelaide. You also said how I think it was you or someone you knew did some research on some probiotics in the Sydney market, and you showed that over thirty percent of them actually stimulated pathogenic bacteria. That's bad bacteria to proliferate instead of good bacteria, and they're marketed as probiotics. That's right, and it's quite legal to market those and uh, as probiotics. And um, unfortunately, I would say that the people who are selling those are buying cheap generic um, probiotics so that they can make a cheap product and make it look like it's got a high count or something like that. And uh, unfortunately, they may be, well, obviously a third of the products on the market um, are like that. And it's um, uh, quite an intriguing situation, to put it mildly. Um, perhaps the only thing that saves those products from doing harm is the fact that they're not boosted to high levels. So they're not in symbiotic form. They're only just probiotics and low levels of it, you know, a few billion or something. <clears throat> wow. So when when you see on the marketplace, for instance, we've got all these little sort of powders and whatnot where we've got bacteria growing on things like mung beans and sprouts and all these different sort of mixes like that, are those good for us? Because I know that there's this notion now that it's the diversity of the microbiome which can be a marker of health. Um, Is that true? I mean, why would it be better to only consume one or two types of bacteria in therapeutic doses like the lactobacillus and the bifidobacterium when, you know, apparently a diverse microbiome is best? Yeah, that's an excellent question. And um, if you have... If you have a diverse microbiome, then you are generally going to be healthier than someone who's just got um, a narrow range of bacteria in their gut. But it depends very much on what types of bacteria are there. And in fact, having a diverse microbiome, if you've never come across antibiotics, is obviously a better thing because we've evolved a relationship with with a whole range of microorganisms and natural selection has kind of uh, dictated that um, we've generally picked up a good set um, but we've done a lot of damage recently in recent generations with antibiotics and so um, the now we've got to look at how we can recreate ideal conditions in the gut now 
obviously the fact that a third of the cultures on the market are doing bad uh, things uh, is, well, where did they come from? And the answer is they came from all these historically um, useful sources, um, you know, fermented foods that have been handed down through the generations or the, the cultures have. And um, so obviously what's been handed down is a zoo of different organisms and you may well get a set that's good in there and they they only sort of pass through. They don't establish because the immune system will kick them out again. But generally speaking, if you've got a good source, uh, good uh, cultures that are in these natural products, then, yes, they can do you good. But hang on, a third of the cultures isolated from those sources weren't good. So what does that tell us? Um, it tells me that it's better now to focus on just the best strains and to take those in highly concentrated form because it's not the variety per se that's that's the issue. It's the conditions that those cultures create in the gut mm. that is important. That's the important thing. And if you can do that more safely with a couple of very good strains, then you're better off health-wise. It's actually a better substitute for for the lack of variety in your gut than it is for you to try and take something that's got a whole range of things in there, a zoo or a probiotic with a whole range of cultures because we just don't know what a lot of those things are doing. And um, a lot of those products also, like the kefirs and kombuchas, look, they were very useful way back when we didn't have any better alternative and when we didn't have antibiotics to make things a whole lot worse than they were a few generations ago. So they, they're kind of, they've been out, outclassed. Uh, there's now a need for something much more effective and much more potent. And um, it's a bit like the aspirin story. Aspirin came from willow bark. Well, you can chew willow bark and it might work for a very, very mild headache or um, fever. But if you want a, a really good and rapid response, it's better to take an aspro, an aspirin, um, because it's got a high concentration of that uh, carefully selected product in it and purified product. So that's kind of what we're doing, that um, we're recreating ideal conditions with a, a much punchier formula than some of these natural things. So once I know as a fermented food teacher, but also someone who's sort of studied your work, <clears throat> I sort of understand the importance of taking things step by step and really, like you said, focusing on getting the condition of the gut right first. Could it be possible that once we do that, that the sort of therapeutic doses of these bacteria, could that work in conjunction with fermented foods? Well, quite possibly. You know, I'm not trying to pan um, fermented foods. No, uh, no, of course not. That's fine. But, you know, they, they, um, the only thing I'd say about some of these things is the first cultures to grow in them when you're making these fermented foods are often things like E. coli mm. because they're rapid growers, but then they get inhibited by the acid that's being produced and um, die off uh, over a few days. Uh, so... Um, you know, and then the good ones, good bacteria emerge in them. But again, it might be some of the bad acidophilus strains that are emerging. You just don't know. Or bad lactobacillus rhamnosus. Or in fact, the worst one that was tested that doubled the, the growth rate of the pathogen was a lactobacillus rhamnosus. So yeah. you just don't know um, what's happening in those things. I mean, the, history tells us that they're generally safe. Um, uh, it, uh, and you know that that's that's a powerful reason for buying, uh, using them, and making them. Um, and good health has been associated with those products over a period. So you talked about creating an, an ideal environment in the gut, and what sort of environment does that look like? Okay, I, I guess it's things, uh, and this is where we're a bit sketchy on these things, you know. Um, an ideal environment would firstly be one that where toxins are reduced 
clearly. I mean, we've all got livers for taking care of a certain level of toxins, but if you've got dysbiosis, then you've got a lot of toxins happening and you've got a lot of gut damage potentially happening through proteolytic bacteria damaging the wall and so on. So the first thing uh, that we can say about ideal conditions is that we want to lower the number of uh, bad bugs in the gut. And certainly uh, what we've been talking about, this symbiotic, will do that. Um, and the next thing is what about the particular uh, compounds that are being produced? We know, for example, that apple cider vinegar is good for you because it's got, you know, acetate in it and butyrate and things like that. Uh, maybe not so much butyrate, but um, certainly the bifidobacterium that we use will produce butyrate as well as acetate. Mm -hmm. And butyrate mm -hmm. is important for feeding the human cells that line the wall of the intestine or make up the wall of the intestine. And they can't get butyrate from the bloodstream, so it has to come from the microorganisms in the gut. And also uh, vitamins that are being produced and so on, as well as a whole range of other compounds are important. Um, the bad bugs can produce compounds that affect your brain. Uh, they uh, stick to payers patches, your receptors for your immune system and increase inflammation. Uh, when our cultures stick to the payers patches, they reduce inflammation and so on. So that's what ideal conditions look like. Uh, less inflammation and um, more vitamins and minerals and other good substances uh, for the, the body. Uh, but um, beyond that, it's very difficult to say what other things, you know, we're, we're still learning. Um, about what what is uh, an ideal situation down there. And clearly the best thing to have would be, to have, or the best situation would be to have inherited from your mother a really, really good set of bacteria. Um, unfortunately, there are not many mothers around these days who've got a really, really good set. <laughs> so uh, we're, we're trying to uh, make up for that. And uh, the best way we know how is with carefully selected cultures that do the right thing and the best thing yeah. and boost them to very high levels. I have a couple of questions there. <clears throat> Excuse me. Have you heard about um, fecal transplants? You probably would have. Now, is that something that could potentially alleviate this issue on a wider scale in terms of making sure that we have mums out there with good microbiomes? Well, that, that's a very good question too, and I think that research is pointing the way to future directions, and what we're seeing is that about 70 people who have really, really severe gut issues are helped by having an implant of faeces from a healthy person, and uh, faeces are, of course, 50% bacteria anyway, and that's what it's all about. It's just a mixed culture, and um, so, uh, but the, the, the biggest barrier to that is the immune system that has a very strong tendency that it's not absolute but it's a very strong tendency to kick out anything that it doesn't recognize as being part of its original set of bacteria uh, and when you're uh, yeah and when you're first born there is a type of bacteria called segmented filamentous bacteria that are sticking presumably to the payers patches and holding back the immune system from rejecting your mother's microflora. And so basically over a few months, as we accumulate a few other bacteria in there from the environment and so on and, and develop our own unique set of bacteria in our gut, then the immune system has been learning to tolerate those bacteria and to support them and nurture them. And anything else that tries to come in down the track, like if you're a, an adult and you get salmonella poisoning, there's a very strong tendency that uh, the immune system will kick that out. And uh, otherwise, you'd never recover from salmonella food poisoning. Now, some people do go into a carrier state. So what I'm saying is it's not an absolute situation. So when you do a fecal transplant or implant, uh, there is a, um, a tendency for the immune system to reject those. And in fact, they're only about 70% successful. And even then, I'm sure that not 100% of the donor uh, cultures get to establish 
in in the re- the recipient's gut, uh, but enough perhaps to generate conditions that are a whole lot better than the previous conditions that were in that gut. And um, it has been particularly successful in treating um, Clostridium difficile infections, which are uh, often happen when good bacteria are killed off by antibiotics and any Clostridium difficile that's there in low numbers suddenly gets a wriggle on and dominates the gut and kills you. Um, so it is a, a very useful technique, although someone needs to, in the future, work out a way of getting the immune system to accept these um, any new bacteria that we want to put in. And there is an issue also, if you take it a step further, you can imagine that a whole lot of research could be done on selecting the best possible cultures to establish in a person's gut. Then you could keep those in a laboratory freezer and you could make up a set of bugs to put in someone. Uh, But also there's another complication that bacteria that are grown in the laboratory tend to lose their ability to grow in a human Mm. or any other animal. Um, So they may not establish at the level uh, that we'd like to see. So it's a very complex thing. And in the meantime, uh, the, the, the best solution that we've got is to use a super symbiotic, which cr- recreates those ideal conditions as it dawdles down the intestinal tract, feeding on the probiotic, the prebiotic and so on. And it'll create a wave front of concentrated good bacteria sweeping down the gut. And if you keep topping those up... Um, then every day the new prebiotic in the new dose will feed the lingering cultures from the day before and the day before that and so on. And so you can actually build up quite high levels in the gut and um, that will then dictate ideal conditions. But it's kind of what you call, well, I don't like to use the word artificial because it's not kind of the, the, the sort of, um, situation that maintains itself. So in that extent, it requires human intervention to continually maintain it. Um, so, you know, the Amazonian Indians that have, were discovered just in 2009 have got twice as many bacteria in their gut and they don't need us to maintain that. But we've done so much damage to ours that we have to... The only way we can do it is to continually maintain it, really. All right, this that's is, my take on yeah. that situation. <laughs> Honestly, this is this is probably the most groundbreaking sort of info that I've received on the podcast. <laughs> this is really, really cool stuff. You talked about how the uh, segmented filamentous bacteria, is that how you say it? Yes. Yeah, you talked about how they go in and sort of suppress the immune system to allow it to sort of not reject mum's bacteria. What if mum has some potentially bad bacteria. I mean, does the immune system go, well, you know, we're just going to take whatever we get from mum and support it. Would it support bad bacteria as well? Yes, and and that is the problem, and this is uh, one of the reasons we're getting so much autism these days. Yeah. If mum happened to have um, clostridia in her vagina that were um, neurotoxin-producing and people have things like... Um, Uh, Clostridium tetani, the tetanus bug, which is notorious for producing neurotoxins. And it's now uh, widely thought that the cause of autism is actually the baby picking up these bugs right at the beginning there and not having enough good bacteria to suppress them and that these bacteria affect the um, permeability not only of the gut lining but also of the blood-brain barrier. Mm. And so these toxins are travelling up the vagus nerve to the brain and shutting down development of the brain. So we do know that autistic kids, uh, they have a lower level of um, the uh, insulin-like growth factor that controls the development of the brain. And um, we also uh, know that they have gut problems, very often, and we know that they 
uh, 25% of them have fits, which I've seen switched off with this um, particular formula that we're talking about. And we know that they've got a lot of food allergies often, more than normal kids. And um, also there's an interesting take on breastfeeding in this situation because the onset of the autism is often associated with cessation of breastfeeding. Wow. And, and the reason that that happens, uh, it seems that it's because breast milk contains lactoferrin, which chelates iron and makes the gut sort of an iron-free region. <clears throat> and we know that things like Clostridia and E. coli and so on, uh, the basically the things that do make up the more adult microflora need iron, but probiotic types of bacteria and the baby do not need iron for quite a long while. Um, and, um, you know, babies have got double the level of haemoglobin of adults, so they don't need iron. Um, neither does lactobacillus acidophilus or bifidobacterium lactis and so on. So they're the ones that tend to predominate in that environment. So maybe 70 or 80% of the breastfed baby's gut is good probiotic cultures. But then when you remove that breast milk uh, totally from the situation, then uh, what happens is the iron becomes bioavailable the, uh, and the E. coli's and the clostridia and so on get a wriggle on and overtake the uh, probiotic bacteria which fall down to 1 or 2% of the level uh, that they started at. So, or 1 or 2% of the total count it down there. And that means that um, they can't exert their modifying and uh, good influence on the gut anymore. And so then the, any neurotoxins that travel up the vagus nerve to the brain and uh, get through to the brain uh, can cause autism. And it has been said that directly you feel that your child might have some form of autism uh, get them onto a very good probiotic straight away to try and suppress those bacteria that are causing the problem. And um, there are there's some Australian work showed that it's not only Clostridium tetani, but a whole range of Clostridia that normal kids don't have and that are as yet unnamed. Um, one of them has been named um, Clostridium boltii, uh, and Ellen Bolte was perhaps one of the first to discover this uh, connection and, and demonstrate that, um, that uh, kids who have autism have got antibodies that they've generated against the neurotoxin produced by Clostridium tetani or similar bugs. So we know that their, their gut uh, has this simmering population of these Clostridia in there and that they've been trying to mount a weak defence against it but the immune system is tolerating it and supporting it, unfortunately. Wow. Uh, How do you spell Ellen Bolti? Just because I know some people are going to want to look her up. Bolti. Bolti? Ellen, E-L-L-E-N, obviously, and then Bolti, B-O-L-T-E. T-E. Yeah, she had an autistic son. She she has an autistic son. Obviously, she started too late to totally reverse his situation, but she's been able to improve it and perhaps her the probiotics that she's giving him aren't as good as the ones that we now have some years later um, but um, nevertheless she's been able to demonstrate that uh, he has gone from being really really severely autistic and not being able to look after himself and now he can at least prepare food for himself and so on so there has been some improvement um, but I think that um, given an earlier start and better strains, she could have had a much better outcome wow. as well. This is huge stuff. This is incredible. Now, you talked a little bit about leaky gut in there, way in there. We went very far into that. Um, and translocation, intestinal permeability, all that stuff. How does that influence the state of our health? Because I know, um, and leaky brain as well, how does it influence that? Because Dr. Perlmutter um, in his book mm. Brain Maker has just been talking about this a lot in terms of neurological issues. Um, how does sort of using the strains of bacteria that you talk about have an effect on the intestinal permeability? Yes, well... Um, if you look at the small intestine where a lot of this goes on, because the small intestine in terms of surface area is larger than the large intestine, um, it's, um, 
uh, and it's the first bit below the stomach. And it, so it's longer yeah. than the uh, large yeah. intestine. And the surface of that is covered in villi, which are like finger-like projections, which are designed to increase the surface area of the gut. And we believe that the surface area is something like a badminton course, court in area. And um, the, the bacteria that live in that area too are generally closely related to yoga cultures. They're streptococci and lactobacilli, if you've got a healthy intestine. But and the characteristics of those bacteria are that they uh, don't damage the gut because they're not protein splitting, they're not proteolytic feeders, they're sacrolytic, they eat sugars mostly. So they don't damage the lining of the gut and in fact they stop other bugs growing there that want to damage the lining. And um, But they're also very, very sensitive to antibiotics, uh, particularly the penicillin uh, and as derivatives. And uh, so um, if you take a penicillin pill, you're dropping an atom bomb, so to speak, uh, into them and obliterating them. And then you get an overgrowth with bacteria that come from the mouth and that come from the colon down lower and meet in the middle. And these, if they're gas producers, you get bloating, which can then push. That's just... Um, you know, gas that's too low to burp out. But then it can push up through the stomach and perhaps weakening sphincters with um, toxins and things like that, I don't know, but they push up through the stomach and cause gastric reflux as they push the acid up up the esophagus. A doctor will give you, uh, God bless him, will give you Nexium or something like that, a proton pump inhibitor drug, and uh, to switch off that acid, which, you know, in terms of in his kit bag, that's about the best thing he's got. So that's fair enough. Uh, but and, and it can prevent um, esophageal cancer. But the the downside of it is that, you've switched off that protective first line of defence against bad bugs getting through your stomach, which is the stomach acid. And also you're not actually treating the root cause of the problem. You're just treating the symptom. And the root cause is the bad bacteria that have overgrown in that area. And yeast as well can. I mean, you know, um, candida orbicans can um, be quite an issue down there. But Usually it's bacteria or predominantly bacteria, and they call it SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. And um, the other side of that is if those invading bacteria are proteolytic and they chew off the uh, villi, then you end up paradoxically with reduced surface area and reduced absorption of vitamins and minerals and so on, so you can become nutritionally deficient. But also you've got now greater access for large food molecules which should not go through that uh, and they go through into the bloodstream and then you can become celiac because you've got um, gluten going through uh, from bread and so on and you can become dairy intolerant because you've got um, casein going through and the immune system makes antibodies to those things so you become then... um, sensitive to those foods Um, but also bacteria can translocate and if bacteria translocate in sufficient numbers into your bloodstream and if they have structures on their surface that resemble structures in you somewhere then the immune system now recognizes that these structures are not self that they are indeed on bacteria because it recognises lipopolysaccharides in the cell membranes of the bacteria. And it says we've got to make antibodies to these structures, or to these bacteria anyway, and it makes them two specific structures. But then those antibodies, once triggered, will attack similar structures in you. And that is the genesis of all autoimmune diseases. So if you've got... um, uh, a joint structure that resembles a structure on a on a bad bug that's gotten gone through into your bloodstream, then you'll get rheumatoid arthritis. If you've got a um, a structure in your pancreas you'll, uh, that resembles a structure on the bug, you'll get type one diabetes. It's even now thought by many that um, 
The chlamydia pneumoniae bug has got a structure on it, we know, that mimics myosin, which is prevalent in the wall of the arteries, and um, we now believe that um, that's what causes plaque to form that is the beginnings of heart disease. Wow. Uh, uh, so leaky gut can lead to a cascade of events and also the bad bacteria, even if they haven't translocated, if they're stuck to your receptors for the immune system in the gut there, the payers patches that are situated, these dome-like structures that are situated between the villi, then what happens uh, is that inflammation is increased because the immune system looking into what is to it the outside world inside your gut it's the outside world um, it's seeing these bad bacteria and therefore doing its thing it is increasing inflammation and of course increased inflammation like that if you've got a chronic source of inflammation you're 50 percent more likely to suffer from major clinical depression or lower back pain uh, it's been demonstrated so these um you know, uh, bacteria have an effect that's way beyond just a gut problem. And people with gut problems should be very, very aware of that um, and uh, not take it lightly. They need to treat these situations at the, at the earliest possible stage. And we now know that there are... Um, well, if you get um, uh, a chronic inflammation, then your brain gets inflamed and that leads to depression. So... You know, what have we got a lot of these days that we didn't used to have? You know, it's things like the obesity, the depression, and autism. All these things, they all track back to one thing, and that's um, dysbiosis, too many bad bugs in the gut and not enough good ones. 350 million people worldwide depression. Actually, I just read on the World Health Organization website as I'm preparing my talk for the Wellness Summit in Melbourne. And um, yeah. they actually say that it's going to be the, the highest cost um, of, for health care. It's going to overtake yeah. heart disease very soon. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, interesting. You shared some incredible stories, um, just going back yeah. to the start, about some radical turnarounds in the health of some people who have sort of applied your information. Um, can you sort of share some of those with us? Because I think they're really worth hearing and they're quite empowering as well because I know a lot of people go through, I mean, a lot of people yeah. are going through some, some health issues nowadays. Can you sort of share those with people? Yeah, were you talking about Crohn's disease? Yeah, that could have been it. Yeah. We've had uh, quite incredible success with um, treating those inflammatory bowel diseases, Crohn's and ulcerative colitis. And um, examples are a friend of mine has um, had six major operations, five of which were involved in chopping bits out of her bowel and uh, resectioning, they call that. And um, so the uh, five years ago, the doctors said, we've got to put you on the strongest possible drugs and they had to be imported specially from America. And uh, they made her so sick, she just stopped that and just went on to our formula, uh, dose in the morning and dose in the evening. And um, the, uh, the doctors had said that even on the drugs, she'd still have to have another major operation in two years' time. Well, she was already off gluten and dairy because dairy feeds bad bugs. And we do know that Crohn's is caused by one particular bug called Mycobacterium avium subspecies paratuberculosis. And we know that people with those uh, conditions uh, have defective genes in their immune system as well. So there are genetic components. But um, anyway, she just went onto our product and um, uh, five years later, she's fine and no problems in between and um, you know she even now contemplates um, having a bit of gluten and so on although it does tend to give her a bit of a, a niggle in her side when she does that but the doctors have said whatever you're doing keep doing it and you know there was another guy a kid 15 who had um, diarrhea 20 times a day with his Crohn's the doctors wanted to remove his whole colon and give him a colostomy bag he was figuratively speaking tied to the toilet but uh, one dose of this uh, formula and 10 hours later he did his first normal stool and um, the whole family crowded around the toilet to have a look uh, it was uh, <laughs> such such a breakthrough 
and um, over the subsequent six months, and his father rang me at six months and said um, he's put on 12 kilos, which he needed to do, um, and was now playing representative football, and he said, you've changed his life, you know. So, um, yeah, amazing stories like that. And um, so, yeah, we can effect um, tremendous changes in, in people's lifestyle and um, uh, conditions uh, and manage them with a lot more success and less fiddle. You know, a lot of people um, with gut problems have to chase these diets um, that are really demanding and um, cramping of lifestyle and enjoyment and things like that. And um, uh, with a lot of gut problems, you can actually, and I'm not suggesting that we um, all go out and eat bad stuff, but hmm. I'm just saying that the, it, the range of foods that they can eat and the enjoyment they can have out of life greatly increase if they're certainly if they're taking the formula all the time. Yeah. What do the next what do the next sort of three to five years, even well, not many people looking that far ahead nowadays, what are the next one to three years sort of look like for you in terms of your microbiology work? Well, these days I'm more focused on getting the particular formula that we use out there yeah. to more and more people. Um, because, uh, you know, there's no point um, doing more research. And, and, and frankly, I'm out of that area now. Um, most of my research now is keeping up with other people's research, uh, which is fine. I mean, everybody stands on everybody else's shoulders, but I, I no longer have a team of researchers reporting to me and so on. So I'm more focused on helping people now I almost become a sort of a, a minor practitioner um, even though I'm a microbiologist not a, a doctor or naturopath but um, that's that's my focus these days we've got a product that works extremely well and it deserves to be out there helping more and more people than it is at the moment so uh, that's my approach at the moment to try and um, um, help more and more people uh, with something that is obviously very very helpful so there we have it. Once again, my favourite interview thus far on the Carol Brock show, I have to say. I would say it almost eclipsed the interview with Philip Day, uh, which was episode three. I really hope you go and listen to that one as well. So again, guys, I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, for any specifics on today's show, head along to kalebrock.com.au. And again, if you are interested in the probiotic, which I do sell, um, very honest and transparent about that, head along to kalebrock.com.au forward slash supplements to uh, register your interest to hear about it. Other than that, hey, go and enjoy some sun shine today as we head into the warmer months of the year and go and look after your tummy because if you do that it'll look after you i will speak to you soon see you guys